0: It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast with Dr. Kevin Payne. Caring solutions to your real challenges. I'm happy you're all here with me today to talk about a good night's sleep. And before we talk about a good night's sleep, here's one brief aside. I just received my vaccine from the County Public Health Center and drove right over here to the studio and slid into the chair. And so far, so good. No reactions. Right now, as we're recording this, in the United States, they've opened vaccine availability to all adults and in many places down to about 16 years old. And right now, about 60% of all Americans, give or take a couple of percent, have had at least one vaccine. And forty-some percent are uh, completely vaccinated with two doses. Now is where the rubber meets the road. We don't get the effects of the vaccine if enough people don't do it. And now we're dealing with people who have vaccine hesitancy. I will just say three words about vaccine hesitancy. Just do it. Just do it. If you're afraid, if you think it doesn't matter if you do it in the nicest way possible, you're wrong. Just do it. Help us all out. Be the superstar in everyone's life. Come on aboard it's not going to cause you to grow a third limb or an or another eye or i was just checking no i'm 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 okay so far so just do it now we're on to talking about sleep many years ago i did a sleep study my sleep was so awful that i was assigned to go in and and do this and and I will bet many of you out here listening have done this as well. And as a methodologist, I I was looking askance at the whole process because I was wondering, doing it this way, how on earth can they get any good data? Because you have to go into a strange place. It's usually not a very inviting room pretty clinical. They strap all kinds of electrodes and wires onto you, and so you've got this these cables streaming from you. Now, and usually it's a, you know, I've got a big king-size bed, and I use a lot of it. I've got a big bed for a reason, because I stretch, and I toss, and I flop, and and it's, it's a good thing. So it's this narrow little cot, and in a, a, a really sterile room, and I'm strapped up to all these wires. And usually, before I can get to sleep, remember, one of the things that I deal with with MS is I'm always uncomfortable. I'm always in pain. So I generally toss back and forth several times before I finally fall asleep. And it usually anymore doesn't take me very long. Maybe there's maybe ten minutes of that. But there's gonna be ten minutes of that before I finally settle in. So imagine trying to do that with all the wires strapped. So I'm getting all tangled up in the wires and, and it's just it's a it's a thoroughly stupid process. And eventually now at that time when I did this I was regularly getting up at four in the morning. Uh, by this time, I finally, uh, maybe about 3.15, I just said, oh, forget it, and stripped all the wires off and walked out, because uh, it it was not going to be useful. <laughs> so, So for those of you who've had enough sleep problems out there that you have also been sent to have one of these monstrosities foisted upon you i feel your pain and and in this episode this is going to be another one of those where we only scratch the surface of a big deep topic but i want us to start out talking a little bit about what happens when we sleep and why we sleep and this is really important because, especially as Americans, we tend to discount sleep. We, we've we got this whole cultural, I'll sleep when I'm dead, kind of attitude. And that is so wrong. And I totally empathize with it because that was me for much of my life. I, I normally would go on about five, five and a half hours sleep or so a night, and I did that for decades. And then there came a point where, with the accumulated effects of multiple sclerosis, I finally realized that I needed to take better care of myself in some of these fundamental ways so that I could have the recovery and the rejuvenation and all of the good things that come from sleep that help raise your level of performance in life and help raise your level of experience in life. So, why is sleep so important? And sleep really is, you know, it's right there in that group with fuel and movement and rest, and recovery, right? These are, these are fundamental things. We've got to have enough good fuel so that our bodies can keep operating. We've got to get enough movement, and we just had a recent episode that talked about that. But we also have to stop, and we have to rest and relax, and we'll have another episode just about relaxing, really relaxing, coming up here. But we also have to sleep, and we have to get good, deep, consistent, restorative sleep. You can't just get, like, one good night's sleep, and it's going to last you for the next six months or so. It doesn't work that way. We have to do this because, our bodies are doing so many things while we sleep. This is the time that our bodies and our brains do all the housekeeping. They, they go in and they neaten everything up and they clean everything out at our cellular levels. They reset hormonal balances. Uh, you consolidate memories. You're fighting pathogens during your sleep you're repairing cells and tissues when you sleep, all that stuff. If you don't give your body the downtime to do that, the normal wear and tear of daily life, especially daily life where we're living with the added distress of a chronic illness, really adds up. And you don't want to be fighting that on top of everything else. So you, this is one of those ways that you need to be kinder to yourself. We don't want to get insufficient sleep, poor sleep, inadequate sleep, disrupted sleep. When we do that, it compromises our immune systems. So we're actually producing fewer NK cells, natural killer cells. These are the ones that fight tumor growth. We make more... Inflammatory cytokines in our system when we do that. And that means that there's a great, we have more inflammation in our system altogether, and there's a greater likelihood of cardiovascular and metabolic disorders. We have fewer antibodies produced, so we're at a higher risk of infections when we don't get enough sleep. But it doesn't just compromise our immune system we've got an entirely imbalanced metabolism and endocrine system. So, we develop insulin resistance. So, for many of us who are dealing with diabetes or maybe on the borderline of having a diabetic condition, you're not sleeping well, then you are fundamentally... Taking your insulin balance out of whack. It impairs your glucose tolerance. So if you have issues with, with sugar and foods and things like that, then you are hampering your body's ability to deal with this. It unbalances your appetite hormones. We've got hormones that, that guide our appetite. And so if you're not sleeping well you're probably more likely to be craving the wrong kinds of foods in the wrong amounts. And it contributes to overeating and obesity. It impairs your mental function because your brain isn't cleaning out all the plaques and, and deratus uh, in, in your wiring, right? So it, it impairs your mental function, leads to confusion. And, and this is just a really short list. There's, there, I, I could do the whole freaking episode just listing these things that are going on. But that's not the point. The point here is that we need to sleep because there's so many fundamental things that our system is doing that it can only do when we're sleeping. So you've got to give your body the chance to tidy things up. Sleep is regulated by two natural processes in our body. One is called sleep homeostasis, or the homeostatic sleep drive. It's also called sleep pressure. And the other one, maybe a little more familiar, uh, is called the circadian rhythm. From the time we wake up, when we wake up, if we're rested and we've had a good night's sleep, our sleep pressure is at its lowest. And sleep pressure literally, you know, this homeostatic system is literally just the drive to make you sleepy. Okay? So it's it's low at the beginning of the day if you've had a good night's sleep. If you're waking up and not feeling rested, then your sleep pressure has not had the opportunity to go all the way down to its lowest level so that you can start the day awake. So it increases as long as we don't sleep. That's why if you've stayed up for a day or two or three, or one, one time in college, some friends and I stayed up for four days straight. And, and we were absolutely delirious by the end of it. I, we, we were fundamentally not making rational human decisions at the end of that time. <laughs> my goodness, but but that is why we get sleepy and we want to sleep. We've got this natural sleep pressure. It's going to build up. And when we do work with our rhythms, then we naturally want to sleep. We've got a lot of sleep pressure. We fall asleep and we can sleep longer and more deeply. And then Our circadian rhythms are running kind of opposite to what's going on with our sleep pressure. And there's a master circadian pacemaker in our hypothalamus, in the base of our brain, right? And it synchronizes and controls many peripheral, what are called circadian oscillators, in cells all throughout our body. If we give ourselves the opportunity to sleep, those stay in sync with one another. And what this does is it increases wakefulness all the way through, say, early evening. And then it starts declining. And if our two rhythms are in sequence, then together they're keeping a natural schedule of wakefulness and sleep by timing our hormone levels, our body temperature, hunger and digestion. But these things are affected by light and by physical exertion, either too much or not enough, right? Melatonin and some other natural hormones. And these rhythms are naturally a little longer. The circadian rhythm is naturally a little longer than 24 hours for most of us. So if we have no uh, outside cues, if we were just like living in a cave... We would normally have 25, 27, 28-hour days, and we would get off cycle. So we use light and we use natural sleep to reset the circadian rhythm each night. And if we don't do that, then these rhythms get out of whack, and they become unsynchronized, and... You've probably lived the consequences of this. So, in the next part of the episode, after the break, we're going to talk about why we don't sleep. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life, and we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump, and you can too. It's your life, live it well. JustJump.life And we're back, and we're talking about why we don't sleep. And just as an aside, if you are dealing with issues of being tired or fatigued or exhausted, I would point you to an episode we did back in Season 1, Episode 6, where we break down the difference between awake, tired, fatigued, and exhausted and how those have to be treated differently. So many of us with chronic illness are spending a fair amount of time in that fatigued state and even into exhaustion. Keep those differences in mind. So we've we've got these natural drives with sleep pressure or homeostasis and our circadian rhythms, and most adults really do need between 7 and 8 hours of Good sleep a night and maybe a little bit less and maybe a little bit more. It depends. Some people need 10 hours. Some people, very few people do well on six, six and a half hours. Um, I, I generally am at the lower end of that that range just naturally. I, I sleep more now than than I had for many years and I sleep usually around seven hours, give or take half an hour. Each night, but it's good quality sleep, and and I actually measure and monitor all those things, so I I know that you know between two and a half and three and a half of those hours are generally deep sleep and REM, and I know that uh, I'm going to be feeling better the next day if that's broken up into two to five different sessions of deep sleep and REM overnight, and yada yada. I mean, we can, but but my point is you need good sleep. So, there are three sleep problems that we tend to see. And those are difficulty getting to sleep, difficulty staying asleep, and then waking too early. And then if we if we don't have good sleep, then we may also have difficulty getting awake. So we have those, those three, and then that fourth is usually a consequence of the first two because we didn't get to sleep well and we didn't stay asleep. So when we don't sleep, we build up what's called a sleep debt or a sleep deficit. Now, this is the difference between the amount of sleep that you actually get and what you really need. Unfortunately, You can't make up sleep debt on the weekend. So we got some people who will, will, you know, a lot of people, who will spend five hours sleeping each night during the week, and then they will just crash. Instead of getting up at 7, they'll get up at, at 11 on the weekends. And that doesn't work. And you know that doesn't work because you've probably tried it. And you will recover a little bit, but from research, we know that it takes about four days to fully recover from one hour of lost sleep. Plus, if you're getting up late on the weekends, then you have a hard time getting to sleep normally that night because you haven't been awake for as long, and the cycle continues And those rhythms that we were talking about, those cycles, get out of sync, and that way lies madness. So regular, sufficient sleep is key. It's got to be a pattern. You've got to keep going back to it. So why don't we sleep? Sleep pressure and circadian rhythm get desynchronized. Okay, so that's one thing. Second reason that we might not sleep is we might have a sleep disorder. So we might have one of the many different kinds of insomnia. We might have sleep apnea or borderline case where you've got a partially obstructed breath uh, when you're asleep. Narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome, and the less common periodic limb movement disorder. Parasomnias. Now, these are usually in kids. But uh, what we're talking about here is sleepwalking, night terrors, or one of my favorite diagnoses, exploding head syndrome. This is a real thing. (laughs) And what it means is, as you are falling asleep, or sometimes when you are asleep, you hear a sudden, loud noise. Bang! That doesn't really exist. And so, of course, it's fear-inducing because uh, creepy loud noise waking you in the middle of the night. That can't be good. And it disrupts your sleep. It is truly called exploding head syndrome. Um, We have REM sleep behavior disorders, non-24 sleep-wake disorder, excessive sleepiness, shift work disorders. When you're trying to, you know, work a night shift, right, and sleep during the day, well, now you're working against your circadian rhythm. And and you can move that rhythm around slowly if you work at it, but it's still never quite fully in the groove when you do that. And then there, here's another one of my favorites It has one of those great names for the diagnosis. Revenge insomnia. Revenge insomnia is when you are laying there trying to go to sleep and your brain is castigating you for all of the things that you did to waste time during the day and trying to convince you to go ahead and get up and do those things now, instead. <laughs> so, now that you want to sleep, your, your brain is completely stuck in high gear, ruminating on all of the stuff you should have done that day. Now, this is when you let it go, go ahead and get some sleep, and start again the next day. So, there are a lot of reasons why we don't sleep. And there's a lot of good reason for you to sleep. So, how do we solve this problem? Well, we're going to talk about a bunch of things that we can do. Part of your takeaway here is, first you have to understand what your sleep problem is. And second, then, you're going to pick and choose from this buffet of possible things you can do to improve your likelihood of better sleep. The first thing that you have to do here is make up your mind that sleep is going to be a priority for you, along with fuel and movement, You're going to give yourself the tools that your body and your brain need for you to live a good quality life. And sleep is just as foundational as nutrition and exercise. So that's the first thing. You've got to make the decision that this is something you are going to do. Because sometimes you're going to have to choose between... Fun stuff and sleep. And it's okay sometimes to choose fun stuff, but just realize, you know, have a plan for recouping that sleep debt over the next few days. Realize that it's going to take you four, five, six, seven days to to get back onto some kind of good track for yourself. Second thing you have to do is you have to organize your home and your schedule to promote quality sleep. And you'll find a lot of information about this in general. This is called sleep hygiene. So just like you want to be neat and clean uh, by taking a bath every once in a while, uh, you also want to be neat and clean with your habits that produce and promote better sleep. And we're going to begin with our sleep environment. Okay? The basics. Your sleep environment, wherever you are regularly sleeping, needs to be dark, quiet, cool, comfortable, and distraction-free. Dark. It needs to get dark in that room because... Y- your eyes sense light even through your eyelids. So, dark. It needs to be quiet. And this means that, that whoever's living in the house with you, you may have to have one of those come to Jesus talks with them and, and say that your sleep is going to be inviolate and they're going to be beaten furiously about the head and shoulders if they get in the way of this. It needs to be cool. You know, the optimal temperature for sleep is about 65 degrees, give or take a couple each way. It needs to be comfortable, and it needs to be distraction-free. So what does that mean? Okay, so here are a few things that you can think about. All of us, one time or another, you have to get up in the middle of the night to go relieve your bladder. And, you know, I'm of a particular age where it happens more often. And and so I I really appreciate this. Your path from your bed to the bathroom should be dark and obstacle-free. So no stuff in the middle there to trip you because you don't want to fully awaken when you have to do that. In your sleep environment, no white light or blue light, right? Get those out of that area, out of your bedroom, out of that area. This one's going to cause some of you to scream, remove your television. But, you know, I had a TV in, in my bedroom for, I don't know, 20 years or so. And and then along about or the early 2000s, it was like, nope. And I removed a TV from the bedroom and it was a wonderful decision. No cell phone, no tablet, no laptop. If your cell say charges by the bed, then no alerts overnight, put it in airplane mode, you know, something like that. No random distractions. Your bed is for two things. It's for sleep. And it's for intimacy. And that's it. You do nothing else in your bed. Period. Because you are building the habits and the associations of bed is sleep. Block the noise. So where earplugs have a fan or a white noise machine, something like that, uh, that blocks out some of the incidental noises, Keep your temperature around 65 degrees. Have a comfortable mattress, whatever's comfortable for you, if you like it harder or softer. I like something that's almost like a board. It needs to be really hard. And that's one of the things that's happened because of my MS. I'm, I'm more comfortable now if it's harder. And, and my body doesn't sink into as, as many weird positions. So I've got one of those beds with the air bladders that inflate, and, and I used to sleep on, like, about a, a 60 or 65, so, like, medium kind of softness. And for almost a decade now, I've, I've slept on a 100. I want it as firm as possible. And that's one of the problems with me traveling. A lot of times, hotel beds are not as firm as I need them to be. So I'll sleep on the floor. Turn your clock face around so you can't see it. No clock watching. Again, that way lies madness. Don't go there. Dim night lights. If you're going to have night lights, they need to be dim, red or orange, you know, night lights, not not white or blue or clear, you know, none of that. And again, one more time, the bedroom is only for sleep, and intimacy. No TV, no work, etc. Build the right associations. When we come back from the break, then, you will have your bed environment, your sleep environment all lined up. And we're going to talk about some of the other things you can do. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life. And we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump. And you can too. It's your life. Live it well. JustJump.life And we're improving our sleep hygiene and... Building better habits so that we sleep better, so that we improve our quality of life. And again, that's what this is all about. It's about improving your quality of life. If you are staying up way too late and maybe engaging in some of that revenge insomnia, (laughs) it's because your cave children are driving. And that's okay. They can drive sometimes. They, They get to that they're part of us, but they are geared toward the here and now, and they don't have a really good understanding of consequences down the road. So in other words, your cave children are not very kind to your future self. They're kind of like the gremlins. They come in and they party around and they leave things a mess, and then somebody has to do the cleanup. Well, who has to do the cleanup? Who has to live with the consequences? Future you. So be nice to your future self. So we've prepared our physical environment, and that's one part of what we want to do. A second thing that we want to do to improve our likelihood of getting a good night's sleep is what we'll call our sleep preparation or sleep routine routine. So again, this is all about, like like so many things, it's about developing new habits and giving those habits time and space in your life to grow into a repeated routine, something that's easy for you to do. And we want the things that are better for you to be easier than the things that are not better for you, and again that's those cave children right, who all they want is is pleasure now right it's It's like animal in in the muppets right right, right? that's I really do think of my little inner cave children as something akin to animal from the Muppets. <laughs> It's about the right level of of planning. So, if we want to sleep well, we need a relaxing bedtime routine that helps signal that this is now time for sleep and helps encourage you in the direction of good, regular, deep, restorative sleep. So, have a routine. And it may be, you know, nightly cleaning, brushing your teeth and your face and changing into whatever you're going to sleep in or something like that. You know, whatever it is, do that and, and do it consistently. And everything about it should be the intensity dialed down to about two or three, Right nothing exciting, nothing adrenaline pumping, nothing like that. It's 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 about paving the way to sleep. And relaxation is kind of the gateway to a good night's sleep. So we want to do that. We want to build the habit. We want to get relaxed. If you get hungry overnight, I mean, a lot of people are middle of the night snackers. Then Make a snack, a small, light snack, part of that nightly routine so that you're less likely to get that kind of munchies in the middle of the night and find yourself padding to the refrigerator for, for food. Housemates should know that your sleep isn't disturbed. Now, in my case, the the one that that I... I've had numerous conversations with, but he still doesn't understand as my cat. <laughs> and he didn't care. <laughs> so, you know, some of your housemates will be more or less supportive of your decision, but keep working with it. You may decide that you want to insert some meditation at this point. And in the second episode on meditation that we had recently, I talked about a couple of sleep meditation exercises that you can do, so I encourage you to go back and check those out if you'd like. And then there's some things that you really need to avoid. No heavy, spicy meals two to three hours before you're trying to go to sleep. Okay? Your, your, your body needs to... Get that heavy lifting of the digestion out of the way before you're trying to sleep, right? So so nothing like that. Minimize liquids. No joke. Just don't drink as much. And speaking of drinking, no alcohol. You need several hours if you want a good night's sleep because alcohol may make you sleepy, but you will have poorer quality sleep you're less likely to stay asleep, and you may or may not wake up well out of all that. So, if if you are relying on alcohol to get to sleep, that's a bad decision. And you need to, to shift your drinking to earlier in the evening. Similarly, no nicotine for several hours before you go to sleep. No caffeine shortly before you go to sleep. Now, caffeine has a half-life in the human body of between five and six hours. So in other words, half of all the caffeine that you've digested will be out of your system five to six hours later. So that means for most people, you probably want to knock off caffeinated beverages mid-afternoon. I switch to water about dinner time, and then that's what I drink in the evening. Exercise to help tire your body, build up sleep pressure, but don't do it within maybe three hours of your bedtime. If you do it too late, now you're gonna be you're gonna have an adrenaline pump, and and you know you're gonna be and that doesn't help you get to sleep. Exercise movement every day helps you sleep because it helps get your body tired enough to want real sleep. But it's got to be earlier in the day. So you know you probably shouldn't exercise until maybe, you know, like for most people, like maybe right after dinner or something like that. I mean, it should be, you know, at least two or three hours in there, preferably before mid-afternoon. Another thing that we can do to sleep better is broadly categorized as light manipulation. Because light is really crucial to triggering your circadian rhythm. Uh, We can use light to help set our clocks and keep our internal clocks running correctly. So every morning that's possible... Expose yourself to bright morning light. And that helps your circadian rhythms. It helps that that central oscillating pacemaker understand, okay, this is the beginning of the day. So expose yourself to bright morning light and bright light during the day. Get natural daylight whenever you can. That's not only going to make you feel better, It's going to improve your mood for most of us, uh, but it's also going to help keep your clock regulated. Then, of an evening, dim the lights an hour or two before your bedtime. You want dim lights. You want to lower those levels, and you want to avoid blue light and that's especially like laptop screens and things like that, before bed. Now, laptop manufacturers are aware of this, and modern operating systems have uh, some kind of variation or night shift option where it will shift the light waves on your laptop toward the red as you get later in the day. So, I mean, I always use that, because I'm, I'm working on my laptop all the time, so I always use that setting in the preferences. So, check it out and see if you have it. And then, if you are especially sensitive to blue light, consider glasses with blue-blocking lenses at night. And... You know they make those. You can you can uh, get lenses with that for prescription or non-prescription and try them out. It may well help. Fourth thing you can do. I will re-emphasize exercise daily. Modern sedentary lifestyles don't work our bodies hard enough to induce good sleep. So many of us just don't get that. And then a big one: stimulants and sedatives minimize their use, over time they encourage dependence and their effectiveness is reduced. Not only that, they tend to generate subpar sleep quality. So you're probably not getting good, quality, deep, restorative sleep if you're using some kind of sedative. Likewise, whenever you use stimulants in the morning, those stimulants probably leave you (laughs) all excited and agitated and not really awake. The quality of life experience we get, both waking and sleeping, is better and more effective if we don't have to rely on these things. Now, sometimes something's going on and you need to. So, so this is not me being some kind of absolutist, you know, crazy. I understand. Sometimes you have to. But they will be more effective if you can reserve their use to occasional short-term aids. Especially then, you know, while you're getting these natural tactics in place. So you can certainly use them as kind of a stopgap to help as you're making that transition. Instead of pharmacological uh, sedatives, you might try small doses of melatonin and L-theanine. And these should be timed appropriately. So melatonin, two hours before you want to go to bed. L-theanine, probably around that time also. Uh, melatonin is a hormone that we naturally produce that encourages better control of that sleep-wake cycle. And usually melatonin, you need a really tiny amount, uh, 3 milligrams, 5 milligrams. And it's one of those things that if you take more, you, you, you throw off that dose response. So 3 milligrams may be just enough, a little tiny amount in addition to what your body's already naturally producing, you go to, You think, oh, I'm, I'm not getting to sleep real quick with that. I'll try 10 milligrams. Well, now you've probably wired yourself and you're not going to get to sleep at all. So, you, you know, this is not a more is better thing. This is, Goldilocks is just right. L-theanine is an amino acid that encourages relaxation, not sleep itself. But relaxation is that doorway and it enhances alpha wave production and and that's a sleep precursor so you want to change your brain waves and and help and then you know it, and you can use these two together because they're very different pathways they're working on pushing you to sleep you know towards sleep in very different ways so they're not adding up to one another and then if you need to sleep, see a sleep specialist. And then you can be like me and you can curse out having the stupid uh, sleep study. Uh, but it may be helpful for you and certainly a, a more expert pair of eyes is, is going to be useful in some of these extreme cases. But what we also find is a lot of sleep can be improved dramatically with some really small changes. So, fit sleep into your schedule and we'll reinforce some of these takeaways after the break. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. And together we are fitting sleep into our schedule, each and every one of us. We're making time for sleep. We're not cutting it short. We're not making sleep an afterthought. I'm I'm getting scally looks from my producer. But this is really important because you want to improve your quality of life. You want to whatever you're doing whether it's work or play or just nothing you want to be able to do it better and enjoy it more and being awake when you want to be awake and asleep when you want to be asleep is really crucial to that and we don't think about that's one of those things that we often don't even figure into our quality of life calculations that we would do better, we would enjoy things more if we were more awake whenever we experienced them. And we would have a much better feeling about sleep if when we went to sleep, we just went to sleep. And that brings us around to the first one of these what-you-need-to-do-now things. And the first one is... Set your wake-up time first and be consistent. So you want to be getting up within maybe a half an hour or so of the same time every day. And the cool thing about this is if you can drag yourself out of bed for a few days in a row... Even if you don't want to, what you will find is your sleep pressure in a few days will be more naturally aligned to you being sleepy at the end of the day when you are actually going to bed and getting the right amount of sleep for you. So you can wrestle your sleep time into some kind of regularity and into a more natural, intuitive, meaningful place in your life. Not just because, oh, I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or midnight because that's when I said I was going to go to bed. No. Go to bed, and this is going to be one of the next things we'll talk about, when you're sleepy. So set your wake-up time first and be consistent because then you're helping your body... Put everything in place for the end of the day. The second thing here is don't go to bed until you're really tired. Don't do it. Stay up. Stay someplace else. You know, be in a chair, be in a couch, be sitting out on the deck, whatever it is that is relaxing, right, because you're you're still you know wanting to to build those habits that lead you towards sleep but you're not in bed because if you go to bed too early now you're associating going to bed with a bad experience cuz you're tossing and flopping and and ruminating and grumbling and maybe getting up and down and all that stuff and no stay out of bed until you literally can't keep yourself awake. And then go to bed. And I'm not saying do that revenge insomnia thing where you're just keeping yourself up out of spite trying to get stuff done. No, I mean, you are learning the signals that your body is trying to send you. you got to listen to them. So, set the wake-up time first. Go to bed when you are really tired. That way you've minimized the possibility of you laying there tossing and flopping and, and grumbling about not getting any sleep. Third thing you need to do is understand your own challenges. So what do I mean by that? At the root of your sleep challenges one of three things it's always it's always one of three things often it's two of three things or three of three things but it's all it's going to be these three things one it's going to be a physical issue of discomfort okay so what can you do to make your bed more comfortable to make your pillows a lot of people don't think about pillows pillows are really crucial to get the right angle uh, on your on your neck, right? To to use additional pillows maybe to support and prop up parts of your body uh, to keep it in in good alignment for for being most comfortable. Getting the right amount of blanket on you. Cuz you get you, you get an you get too little, and maybe you don't like that, and you get too much, and you feel too weighed down, you want just enough so that you feel safe and cozy, right? Where do you fit in there? And and that's really important. So, you're going to have physical issues. For many, we've got emotional challenges. So, At the end of the day, when we're trying to go to sleep, that is the one guaranteed time of the day when you are left alone with yourself. And if you've got lots of dark ruminations and worries going on, then that's a big source of sleep problems. So, are you dealing with? A physical issue? Are you dealing with a an emotional issue? Or are you dealing with an environmental issue? So you've got light and noise and temperature and all those things that we talked about that, that are in your sleep environment that you've got to make sure that you've got optimized for you, right? So the third thing you're going to do then, is you're going to, now that you have such a wake-up time and you've been consistent, and you've, you've done a little deep dive into yourself and figured out, am I dealing with physical, emotional, environmental things, or some of the above, or all of the above, you're going to establish a nighttime routine. And this is going to be something that is relaxing, And comforting and makes you feel happy and satisfied and warm and safe and and all those things because you want to look forward to sleep. It's a good thing. It's doing good things for your body and your brain. So enjoy that. So get that nighttime routine in place. And then be consistent be consistent. I know a lot of us have lives where then you know it's Friday or Saturday night and woohoo we want to go out and party and 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 we do that but then now we're getting to bed 3 4 5 hours later and we have to understand and I'm not saying don't do that sometimes. Do that sometimes because those are good experiences in life and enjoy that stuff. But have a plan on the back side because you have to realize that It's going to take you four to seven days probably to get back on track again with your sleep. Because you will have built up a sleep debt and your biorhythms will be out of whack. They'll be out of sync. And it's going to take a little time to get back to it. So just realize you can have all the woohoo time you want, but there's going to be paying for it on the other side as well. And I totally get that because we're coming into summer here and, and the days are getting later. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is you know we do sunset jumps at the drop zone. There is nothing like being out under canopy during the magic hour. You're up there with the clouds and it's all puffy and beautiful and the sun's sinking on the horizon, and the day is just about done, and it's beautiful. But the problem is, long about sunset, which is late in the day, you know, after 9 o'clock, you're tripping your acute stress response. So you're flooding your system with this adrenaline rush late in the day. And then, of course, you're going to hang out with your friends afterward or at a bonfire or whatever it is the drop zone and, and swap lies and, you know, do all the stuff that people do. That means that you're probably not going to be prepared for good sleep until late. So when I do that, I prepare for having the consequences on the other side. Anytime I go off on one of these things, it's not about putting limitations on your life, it's about understanding that what choices we have have consequences. Good consequences, bad consequences, usually a balance of those. It's some good, some bad, whatever it is. You have to understand and acknowledge those so that you can plan for them. And sleep is no different. Sleep is necessary. Sleep is good. Sleep is your friend. It took me a long time to get to that understanding and acceptance in my life. It really did. Because I was one of those little kids who refused to take naps even. Oh, and we didn't even talk about naps. So I was going to talk about naps here a little bit. But there's so many things that, about sleep that we haven't even touched on. So, I hope that I've given you enough that you can start improving your quality of sleep, thereby improving your quality of life through better sleep, So with that, I will say, go forth. Sleep well, be well, do well, and do good. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to join the conversation with Dr. Kevin Payne, find Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co. Don't forget to like,